I think we can do better on uh, educating the next generation of marketers and ops people on data analytics and strategy. When we look at our industry, you know, we see vendors that want to get you certified, kind of teach you a solution versus teach you how to think. What I'm seeing lots of times is people would put dashboards together, which are called data pukes because, hey, okay, so we're looking at some uh, data in the past of clicks or downloads or whatnot. These are vanity metrics. This doesn't really tell me what lever do I need to, to pick or change and what does it mean that, hey, if I increase my uh, marketing budget 10%, what can I expect from a pipeline or revenue perspective? So we are working to change this. That was Raviv Turner, co-founder and CEO of Caliber Mind, and this is Pod Sessions with Mitch Fanning. Let's go. I sell products, not advertising. This monkey business is in your blood, under your skin. You're getting out, you're just getting in, you're only getting started. People will think. What I tell them to think. Oh, have I got your attention now? You have part of my attention, you have the minimum amount. This guy's got the right idea. Why don't we begin? Hot and ready, bombs away! Welcome back or welcome to another episode of Pod Sessions with me, your host, Mitch Fanning. For those listening for the first time in this bi-weekly podcast, my goal is to have meaningful conversations with interesting people covering a variety of topics, including B2B marketing to personal growth. In this podcast session, I had the opportunity to speak with Raviv Turner, co-founder and CEO of Caliber Mind. Now, for those who may not be familiar with Raviv, he and his all-star team at Caliber Mind have built a leading customer data platform designed specifically for the B2B revenue marketer with one aim in mind, to be the single source of truth for marketing and sales teams that finally will give them the superpowers they need to grow revenue faster together. Now, as we all know, every story has a beginning, and in Raviv's case, it's no different. Raviv first mastered his own data intelligence superpowers as a military intelligence officer and now for the past decade has decided to use his powers for good by helping CMOs and B2B marketers grow revenue by becoming more data-driven and customer-focused. And if that wasn't enough, despite all that Raviv does, he still somehow finds the time to give back as both being a personal advisor to CMOs on marketing technology and data analytics strategy, and also as an angel investor and mentor at the well-known startup accelerator Techstars. But honestly, in addition to all that he's done, what's really stood out for me was how he was able to master this rare ability to be both customer and product focused while also being data driven, to have empathy while also being very entrepreneurial and very analytical. And throughout our conversation, you see signs of it from the way he and his team at Caliber Mind treat their customers, uh, from the way he and his team look at product development, to even the way he uh, looks at and talks about his community and employees. It, it was such an interesting conversation, and I learned so much, to be honest, and I think you will too. And if that doesn't entice you enough, uh, I think the topic of MarTech porn was even discussed. But don't worry, kids. This podcast is PG rated. I really hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did having it. So without further ado, let's get into it. Oh, we now have visual on target. So Raviv, welcome to the show. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. There's a lot of ground that I, I want to cover in such a short period of time uh, that we have together. But I think first, I'd like to kick off the conversation by asking you, how does a former officer of the Israeli intelligence community find themselves in Boulder, Colorado, running a, a leading edge MarTech company like Calibre Mind? Yeah, it's, it's been a, a fun journey. So 
when you think about the the practice of uh, what I used to do back in the in the army, this is called signal intelligence. It's all about finding signal in the noise, right? Um, you gotta work with uh, big data. You gotta monitor social networks, uh, electronic communication, but also people communication, and and get to the bottom line. Uh, and I think this this practice kind of lends itself pretty well to business intelligence for sure, but also to to marketing intelligence and marketing analytics. Uh, in B2B marketing today, there is some big changes where marketers are just dealing with more and more channels, uh, more touches, uh, longer and more complex uh, buying journeys uh, with, uh, with bigger data. And when you think about some of the biggest challenges or some of the biggest problems we work on uh, with uh, B2B marketers, how do I increase my marketing ROI? How do I improve my marketing efficiency? How can we attribute marketing activities to revenue and, and grow revenue together with sales? Um, what's common to all those problems is um, they start with the data. And if you can synthesize the data and come up with the attribution, come up with what channels, what campaigns are working, and then use it to pull the levers to grow revenue faster together with sales. In other words, use the data and the analytics to become a revenue marketer, pretty much still solving, or I'm still solving data problems with, uh, with marketers. So I've been on this uh, uh, long journey uh, from Israel to the States, I've graduated from uh, a great program called ITP, Interactive Telecommunication Program at NYU. And for the last decade, I've been working uh, side by side in the trenches with some of the uh, brightest minds in, in B2B marketing, building uh, software and, and high-growth B2B marketing solutions uh, to help marketers uh, use leverage data and analytics to, to get to know the customers, to grow revenue. And then Boulder, um, it's a fun story. Uh, we moved with the family to Boulder. I have, I have two boys. Uh, we ski, we snowboard, of course. We just got some uh, great snow here. A good, good start of the season. Moved to Boulder uh, six years ago uh, from New York. and what, what I like about Boulder, there's a, a, a great uh, tech community. I'm also a mentor here at Techstars, which is one of the uh, most known brands, uh, startup accelerators. Uh, and you have great access to, um, to dev talent here from, uh, from CU, from the university. So I think Boulder is a great place to, to build your startup. Um, there's not too many big marketing events, which means that I still have to travel and fly, whether to meet with customers or for Martech West or Martech East. Um, but, but that's fine. Um, we just, we have our team here in Boulder and we had people actually leaving the Bay Area, leaving New York and coming to join us here in Boulder. So it's been a, a fun ride so far and we're growing fast and, and Boulder is just an amazing, uh, place, I think, to, to build your startup. Now, I'm going to go a little off script uh, quickly, but this is something I've been wanting to know. I, I don't have a lot of connections or, or, or people that I know in the Colorado area, but I have seen, and you mentioned Techstars. I know Techstars very well, and I have been very impressed in how the Colorado area has able to become such a strong tech hub. And I'm wondering just quickly, do you have any insights because you're, you're obviously now there boots on the ground why is it such a strong tech community 
given kind of its geography, and I know geography doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it just seems like it's, it has become a very strong tech community. What are your thoughts coming from kind of the outside? Were you surprised? And in your mind, how did it become so strong? Yes. Um, on that topic, by the way, I would recommend a great book put together by uh, Brad Feld, yes. uh, who started the Fund Group, one of the most prominent investors here in, in Colorado. That book is called Startup Communities, Building Building an Entrepreneurial Ecosystem in Your City, where he talks about how Boulder and the Denver metro area evolved into this uh, amazing uh, tech hub and startup community. Um, and there, there are a few forces here. Uh, first, I think uh, Boulder is a great place to live, you know. Uh, people just want to start companies <laughs> where they want to live and raise their families, and, and we're seeing um, this kind of exodus from Bay Area, which honestly I think is becoming uh, not so sustainable from a cost of living perspective, where people just come here because they want to live here. So that's first and foremost. Um, second, um, Boulder is a is a university town. We have CU here, so you need to have access to talent. Uh, there is some bright minds. Uh, from computer science, uh, from computer major, and uh, just multidisciplinary people uh, that you can work with. Um, we also have uh, the NCAR, which is the National Center of Atmospheric uh, Research here in Boulder. So you have lots of data scientists, data scientists, sorry, and, and people working with, with big data and analytics, uh, which again, I think the talent is in place to build a tech uh, community. And last, I think there is ecosystem we have Techstars in town, we have a few other accelerators. Um, at Techstars, our mantra is uh, give first, uh, where you just come and open the door to your company, to your startup, you give advice. I'm personally a mentor when I, I work with the Techstar companies. And it's just great, you know. Um, we, we don't have to really book meetings on calendars or uh, schedule access to buildings. We just uh, will go on a hike. <laughs> and... Um, and sort things out, you know, and just this, this great culture. Um, and of course, you also have the investment ecosystem. So we have the Fund Group and we have some other um, funds that invest here in Colorado. Not so much at the seed stage, but still, uh, when you think about the location, two hours flight, you can be in the Bay Area, you can uh, go East Coast. Um, so it's a combination, I think, of the geography and, of course, the people and the access to, to tech talent. Yeah, and you 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 summarized it quite nicely. Obviously, the lifestyle, university, which means talent. You have Brad Feld, who I'm very aware of. So thank you for that. Again, doing my homework, you seem very strong with data and very data-driven. But you seem to have this rare ability also to be very customer and product-focused, which I think, again, is very rare. Where did this originate from, and really, how did how did it evolve in terms of becoming one of your strengths, or, or what, or makes you kind of seem again unique in that respect? Right. So you definitely did your homework, and you can see I'm I'm coming to this problem uh, and to Caliber Mind from a product background, um, not so much from marketing. I've been working alongside marketers and, and helping marketers to solve data and analytics problems for over a decade now. But I think my career in, in product and building products that kind of delight, um, and by the way, making the leap from consumer marketing to B2B marketing, which, you know, traditionally B2B marketing is uh, 
is trending behind B2C marketing uh, when it comes to some of the best practices in the technology. So I think that's that helps a lot when we think about some best practices from consumer marketing. At the end of the day, you know, we're dealing with people, even though we are in a world of account-based marketing, again, at the end of the day, it, it's, it's people buying from people. So yeah, you're not dealing with a consumer, you're dealing with a buying committee or buying group, but that helps a lot, I think, to kind of frame the problem and, and bring some of the best practices from consumer marketing to B2B. And then I kind of taught myself uh, when I got my hands on product management, some frameworks of just becoming customer-centric. I think one of the key personality traits uh, for good product managers is empathy. And being able to put yourself in the shoes of your customer, which we're just doing a lot here um, in Calvermine. So the fact that I've been I've been coming to the problem of uh, marketing ROI and, and analytics, you know, from a product background, I think it helps me to develop this empathy and and always stay very customer centric. And of course, my background in experience design. We're putting this uh, front and center, and we're also going to market with. Um, uh, product-led uh, approach versus sales-led, where if you go on the websites and you ask uh, for a te to test drive Calibermine, uh we won't put you through uh, multiple sales calls and sales conversation, log sales sales conversations, and and gathering information. We just do a short call and then we let you let you in and kind of use the product and try and make it as easy as possible uh, for you to go in and and get the value. And we call this, by the way, unmarted. It's just some of the few practices which we've seen over the years, which we feel are kind of wrong with marketing technologies, which we're trying to, to change. Um, AppSpot calls this the customer code. We call it unmarted. You know, it's different names. But these are some of the things we believe in uh, when working with customers. Yeah, and, and like I said, for me, I think being revenue focused for a marketer is important, but I also think you have to be customer focused. I think almost goes hand in hand. And, and and I definitely see those signs of empathy in not only obviously your DNA, just from what I can tell, but also the company's DNA and the team's DNA. Uh, in one of your comments on LinkedIn, I think it was last week, and you had referenced one of Scott Vaughn's article that he wrote in MarTech Today called Time to Change Up Your MarTech Stack Graphic. And he's the CMO of Integrate. And I'll put that in the show notes. But what is MarTech porn, uh, the hashtag in your mind? <laughs> and and of course, how does it relate to Caliber Minds? on MarTech Manifesto. Yes, uh, uh, MarTech porn. And I've seen this with productivity porn and other hashtags. So I just made up this MarTech porn kind of hashtag. But um, I think what it means is um, our industry just became obsessed with, with just the purpose of gobbling up uh, marketing technologies, you know. And now we have the stackies. Uh, where we uh, give awards for the best tech, so the best technology integration. Uh, also, when we look at the Martech landscape, you know, we have 7,000 logos right now. Yes. And crazy. I think I think what got lost in the process um, is is people, and also business outcomes, and and that's what uh, Scott from Integrate talks about. Um, and again, he's been industry veterans. Where he talks about, hey, it's time to start thinking of business processes and and business workflows and business outcomes, 
and the way the approach we take by the way to our marketing stack and that's what we recommend to our customers is again put the customer in the center how does your customer journey look like if you can map it then you can start thinking about what technologies you need to support it but not the other way around and that also led us to the the unmarthic manifesto which is online on our website which has this kind of 10 commandments um, and this is basically just a code of conduct of, of how we'd like to do business, um, how we'd like to treat customers. Everything from, hey, I have a simple value proposition. If you cannot explain to me what do you do, you know, in 30 seconds, then it's it's too complex. Um, I've seen bloated uh, Martech vendors kind of websites where it's just really hard, starting to get really hard to tell what this vendor does or how it, it can help me. To, to simple things like, uh, you know, hey, let me get in the product. Uh, give me a free trial. Cut the time to value. Don't um, don't send me a, a 10 pages contract, you know, that I need my legal team to review. Uh, make the agreement simple. Onboarding and support. Make me successful, right? For lots and lots of marketing and sales teams uh, I, I see out there, we became very obsessed with acquisition. But we know that it actually costs... 10x more to acquire a new customer than to return an existing customer. Part of the things we do here with our customers and with our technology is mapping the customer journey and providing the analytics and the recommendations throughout the entire customer lifecycle. Not just acquisition, but also uh, retention, upsell, cross-sell. And I think we are starting to see this more and more where you see more B2B uh, brands uh, with uh, someone in the team with, with customer marketing title. So um, I'd love to see this more, but then again, because um, some of the marketing industry is heavily relying on, on VC money and kind of grow at all costs, uh, we are still very much obsessed with acquisition versus retention. Um, and I think that's key. And of course, um, you know, we believe in delivering value uh, with, with, for example, with every uh, quarterly invoice that we send. We provide a report or a dashboard on the value that we provided last quarter. And I would love to see this more, even in multi-year contracts, you know, lots of the B2B industries is enterprise and whatnot, where you get into a two or three years contract. And then um, the go-to-market team doesn't really think about the renewal or the value to the customer until it's time to renew. And I think that's a mistake. Uh, and that kind of, I think, takes us back to customer-centric, where... Every time I bill you, I want to make sure that you see value. And that's why, by the way, we don't have auto renewals. We want to earn this renewal at the end of the year. Yeah, everything you've said is I resonate with, and there's so much there. Uh, we could almost pl split those into three podcasts. So let's talk a little bit more about Caliber Mind. And I'm going to kind of make the statement. It, it kind of seems like you guys are building this, this superpower for the B2B revenue marketer and combining uh, not only attribution, but ABM, account-based marketing, with business intelligence capabilities. Is that a true statement? Yeah, that's that's a true statement. And again, you know, I don't like to open with the technology. When, when we looked at B2B marketing and uh, how B2B buyers are buying, um, we saw a change. And, you know, we all talk about this where 60-70% of this buying journey um, is now done before... Uh, the buyer would reach out to sales or raise their end or do a form. Um, you have uh, what's now called conversational marketing, which uh, Drift is uh, promoting, 
where you go on a chat and you start a conversation. You might go and check an online review via G2 Crowd, right? All of these uh, 12, 13 touches are actually happening before the uh, company even knows about you. It's not logged anywhere. It's it's not in the CRM. It's not in your Salesforce. It's not in your marketing automation. Um, and when we look at this, we say this is this is becoming a challenge. Uh, if you add to it the uh, constant pressure on the CMO and her team to now grow revenue, where we have marketing eating sales because of the changes to the buying journey, now you realize that um, we we see this transition from lead based marketing. Uh, to engagement, and of course the rise of account-based marketing. But uh, even engagement is, is not enough anymore. Um, and that's kind of putting the pressure on, on the CMO to really grow revenue, increase the ROI. And this makes changes, I think, to the way we do B2B marketing today. Uh, if a few years ago it was just enough to kind of throw the leads off the fence and be what's called a lead marketer, where, hey, sales, here's the leads, good luck. Uh, we've seen the transition into engagement and account base, which is all based on engagement signals as a kind of early indicator for pipeline. And now we are seeing the rise of revenue marketing. Now, again, the term is not new. It's been around. I think uh, the first people to coin the term revenue marketing uh, were the folks from uh, the Pedowitz group. Yes. Uh, and, and providing at least the concept of the framework. But with Caliber Mind, I think we are bringing this down to the execution uh, and the how to do it. And again, it comes back to what data do I need? What insights um, can I get from the data and, and what automation um, to use to really grow revenue faster together with sales? And I think we've done uh, one of the most profound studies um, earlier this year together with um, uh, Matt Heinz and Heinz Marketing. Uh, and this is on our website. It's called the State of Revenue Marketing, where we... We surveyed hundreds of B2B marketers to, to just learn how the best B2B marketers grow revenue together with sales. And what emerges is this kind of three types of marketers or state of the industry where um, you have close to 30% still doing lead marketing and in kind of transition, you have um, a, a 45% or so in demand marketing state. And then a selected group around 20, 22% which already in the states of um, they carrying the bag together with sales. Either they have a soft revenue number, uh, revenue source, revenue influence, or they actually have revenue and bookings, uh, and they nurture all the way to closed one and beyond. And to do this, you need to to have this single source of revenue choice, which is what Caliber Mind does. Um, some of our mid-market customers are using between 20 to 30 different technologies CRM, marketing automation, content, video. So there are multiple versions of the truth out there right now in, in B2B marketing, right? You have content marketing and email marketing and social marketing. And now we have conversational marketing and whatnot. But when I ask you, hey, Mitch, which dashboard would you show to your CEO or the CFO? What would you report on when you walk into a board meeting? You're probably not going to use any of those dashboards, right? No, and that's that's the issue is it's, you, that's why the the BI category has has grown because that's that's as a result. However, there are limitations to that, and like I said, that's an extra that's an extra technology on your on your stack, which has a premium cost. So that's that's the issue right there, right? Is that 
every little piece that you need, you're, you're, you're now, you're now forced to, to, to increase your, your budget to, to technology. So absolutely. Exactly. Um, so Martech Techs got bloated, um, and in the enterprise, uh, this problem is a kind of 10, 10x kind of fold. You're talking over 100 different technologies. Uh, we're doing work with NetApp and some of the big enterprises where you don't stop at marketing uh, because uh, one of the things we do is we bridge between the CMO and the CFO. Um, so now you have the marketing team working in the CRM and marketing automation and the finance team is working, let's say, in some ERP system or NetSuite or whatnot. Those two systems don't even talk to each other. No. Which means, which means that it's, it's impossible to see how revenue uh, actually travels through the account journey, through the customer journey. And again, when we go back to the top three uh, priorities for the, C- the B2B CMO today, revenue is number one. ROI, increased marketing efficiency, whatnot. Customer experience is number two. Mm-hmm. We know this from Gartner. We know it from uh, the CMO survey that was done by Deloitte. You need, you need this single source of uh, truth if you want to solve for number one and number two. Um, so what it does, and, and again, the core technology is called the customer data platform, but this is not what our customers buying, of course. Uh, no one is in the market to buy another platform. Like we said, we have enough technology. Our customers are basically looking to solve a use case, uh, and that use case can be attribution, of course, which is first and foremost a data problem. That use case can be account base. Uh, I, I need an account-based view of the world. I want to see what accounts are surging on engagement. And again, um, if you're looking to do account-based marketing on a full-time and, and go all in on account-based and just do this as you go to market, there are some big ABM platforms. Uh, we are not an ABM platform. We do have uh, an account-based marketing solution uh, for what we think is 80% of the market. They're just looking to layer account-based as another go-to-market technique on top of their demand strategy. And I think this is all comes back to... Um, again, revenue marketing, what uh, go-to-market, what strategies we need to execute, and then pulling the levers, the data, the analytics, and the automation to, to do this. So the, the solution or the value proposition of Calibermind is, is pretty simple. Uh, we provide 10x faster time to revenue insights or customer insights at 10% of the IT or the BI cost. And I think where the biggest kind of breaks with the technology is that um, you don't need any data analytics skills. Some of our uh, ops folks that we work with, uh, they are great operators. They know their way in and out of Salesforce and Marketer and Aliqua and whatnot. But they are not data analysts and they don't have access to data analysts or data scientists. I think Scott Brinker calls this uh, citizens technologies or citizens developers or citizen scientists. And that's a big trend because... Uh, uh, Calibermine is, is part of the bigger trend of democratizing data for go-to-market teams, for marketing and sales. Um, with Calibermine, you can ask the data a simple question using a natural language querying. Hey, which campaign is driving revenue? What are some of the marketing activities with the best ROI, for example? And, and get an answer. So the, the time to value, the time to insights is one hour from when we sync the data. It's not, uh, it's not days and not weeks and not months. And that's, that's huge. I think that's also the, the reason why Forrester uh, last month, uh, they came up with their five uh, bold predictions for B2B marketing for 2019. And they put customer data platforms as number one 
because the the time to value because of the access to the the data in a very easy way. Yeah, the state of uh, revenue marketing report was definitely well done. I read it front to back, but the thing that spoke to me the most was the reporting time because when I was pulling reports, it would take our team almost five days and I would agonize over that because that's what it took to get our single source of truth together. But I noticed that's what it took a lot of uh, a lot of lead and demand marketers. It took them three to five days as well, and the revenue marketers were taking two days or less. And that was to me the biggest uh, the thing that resonated with me the most is that wow, it wasn't only me. <laughs> And there are no, other, <laughs> yeah. So that was interesting. And now speaking of obviously revenue, revenue marketing. Uh, now again, I will confess the the other reason why I wanted to talk to you, Raviv, was that in my experience, one of the biggest obstacles to adopting revenue marketing, besides I think having the data, is the the fact that the the C suite or leadership team doesn't get it in the sense that they still feel that marketing is either the arts and craft department and or just the lead gen or demand department. Uh, so number one, has that been your experience? Again, now being a, a CEO, uh, now this is kind of where I want to get your perspective as the CEO. Uh, do you feel number one, has that been your experience? Do you feel the same? And, uh, and I'm going to say probably not, but I'd like to get your, your thoughts. And in your mind, what do you think are some of the biggest obstacles marketers face in trying to kind of get that change management in place and, and scale revenue marketing efforts in their, in their organization? All right. So you're asking two questions. First is how do I look at marketing from a CEO perspective? Correct. And yes, you know, I'm a CEO of, uh, a customer data platform, but I also work closely with Chris, our VP marketing, who's doing a fantastic job. Um, and then you're also asking, uh, what are some of the obstacles? I, I assume you refer to culture and people. Correct. Uh, not so much technology in, in getting up and running with revenue marketing. So let me answer the first question, which is, uh, as a CEO, I'm pretty much aligned with, with Chris on a revenue number. And Chris actually has his compensation tied to a revenue number. Uh, I think step number one is if we want CMOs to drive revenue, we have to align uh, compensation. And that requires change, like you said. It's probably easier in, in smaller size companies. Um, and I think that's why we're seeing some of the fastest growing uh, B2B tech startups actually taking revenue marketing and kind of running with it. But when we look at the dashboard, you know, we, we, we start with revenue sourced by marketing or revenue influence all the way to bookings and just the revenue number. Uh, and that starts with getting our ideal customer profiles right, picking our uh, list of target accounts, driving uh, engagement early on and, and penetrating uh, target accounts as an indication for pipeline, and then supporting sales all the way to close one with the personalization, the messaging, and everything they need to, to close the account. So in a way, you can say we are drinking our own champagne here at Calibermine when it comes to revenue marketing. From the way we think about marketing to the compensation plan for our marketing team um, and putting the customer in the center. As far as uh, the challenges, um, yeah, you're right. Uh, we have 
we are seeing this happening because, again, of the pressure of the CEO, the CFO, um, on the CMO to uh, increase ROI and grow revenue. Um, I think some of it starts with uh, a data-driven culture and just, you know, the notion of going back to the data versus just intuition to, to answer questions. I think one of the latest uh, DNB reports, they came up with this uh, stat, which wasn't that shocking to me. I don't know if you saw this. Where 50% of uh, B2B industry is still relying on intuition uh, when making decisions. And if you go to the always to the highest paid person in the room to make the decision, <laughs> yes, and not to, not to the data, then you probably need to change the culture before you're ready to any sorts of technology or data or analytics or whatnot. Data driven means that there is open conversation, uh, and the person closest to the problem or to the data can bring the data back and answer the business question. So that's culture. Another aspect of this, I would say, is um, even inside marketing organizations. Forget about cross department. And now marketing communicates outside marketing to finance, to sales, to the board. Even inside marketing, we are seeing some sort of a disconnect between the day-to-day ops people, which are the closest to the data. They are the one, the task to assemble the data, dedupe it, clean it up, build a dashboard, right? Come come back with the insights to the to the VPs and the C-suite and the CMO that needs to act on this data. And I think I wrote about it in one of my, my blog posts where... The disconnect is that the people that understand the data the best are probably don't, probably don't have the authority to act on this data when you think about it, right? These are the ops folks and the yeah. analysts. So they prepare the data, they present the data to the CMO, and then the people that uh, have the authority to, to make a decision or act on the data, the VPs, the CMOs, probably don't understand the data that well uh, or just cannot take actions on the data. When you think about um, traditional BI tools, you know, you can use Tableau all day long and just look at uh, some pretty dashboard. But what does it mean? What action do I need to take next? How can I take this this court or this segment and now create a campaign in a uh, smart list in Marketo? How can I upload this and, and, and create a custom audience in LinkedIn? Before customer data platform, this just wasn't possible. You need to go, and this is called the last mile. And this is now relying on human decision-making. <laughs> To go and make the decision what to do with the insights of the data. And I think this was a point of failure. And, and we're now changing this because uh, one of the core capabilities of a customer data platform is the fact that you can take action and activate this segment or push it back to another system. Kind of close the loop on taking action on the data. And then, of course, I, I can talk all day long on, on why predictive marketing failed. <laughs> uh, and, and why the first wave of attribution tools failed because it was running on bad data or missing data or silo data. So revenue marketing was just uh, much more difficult because we didn't have these single source of truth. So technology is one enabler, but for sure you don't start with technology. You need to develop this data-driven culture and then make sure that uh, uh, people are invited to share information. And by the way, also makes mistakes. Experimenting with data requires what I call uh, a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And with a growth mindset, you have to... You have to be ready to fail and make experiments that don't work. So A-B test and optimization and whatnot, you know, it takes it takes time to get to what's working. Uh, there is no silver bullet where you say, hey, you plug in Calvamine and then you don't need to make any, any more decisions. Everything is driven by the technology. It doesn't mm. work like that. No, absolutely uh, not. What, 
what we're seeing with marketing teams, they'll start with Calvermine and then we're monitoring logins to the product. So we're looking at our engagement and they log in every Monday morning for their marketing stand-up and they log in for sales kickoffs and they log in for board meetings. So these are all processes that you need to have in place if you want to be successful with revenue marketing, regardless of the technology that you use. Yeah, and like you said, from my experience, not personally, but just from what I've noticed, is that even if you're able to present data, a lot of the CFOs and CEOs don't find it meaningful, meaning even the revenue, uh, because they don't feel like it's actually accurate. I think we can do better on uh, educating the next generation of marketers and ops people on data analytics and strategy. When we look at our industry, you know, we see vendors that wanna you wanna wanna get you certified on. Salesforce or Marketo or whatnot and kind of teach you a solution versus teach you how to think. Uh, and I think this data literacy is is, um, is something that's missing. Uh, me personally, you know, I'm doing this kind of data and strategy workshops regardless of caliber mine. What I'm seeing lots of times is um, people would put dashboards together, which I call data pukes, um, because, hey, okay, so we're looking at some uh, data in the past of clicks or downloads or whatnot, these are vanity metrics, it's, it's volume. This doesn't really tell me what lever do I need to, to pick or change, and what does it mean that, hey, if I increase my uh, marketing budget 10%, what can I expect from a pipeline or revenue perspective, right? So anyhow, there is a, I'm, I'm a great fan of uh, the data visualization or, or dashboard framework called um, IABI, which is you start with the insights, you move to actions, and then you look at the business impact. And then when I look at the state of, of marketing analytics today, most of it is just vanity dashboards that, that tell us nothing. So we are working to change this. So as we kind of come to a, a smooth landing, there's a couple of questions I ask at the end of these kind of conversations. And, and one is, what do you believe that, that others disbelieve? I believe in the power of data to really change decision-making and culture. Some would say that I'm naive, and this is much harder to change than just showing you the right data sets. But at the end, at the end of the day, I think this is where the kind of world is moving. I'm coming from this heavy data intelligence background, and I've seen people changing, and I've seen culture uh, changing as a result of being open and transparent about presenting data. And, and also this idea of the person closest to the problem can make the decision. So delegating, decentralizing. And I know that's not the way lots of our enterprises are structured today, but I do believe in this model uh, moving forward to just uh, to just make better decisions. And then on the other hand, though, what have you changed your mind about lately? What have I changed my mind about lately? If anything. Uh, parenting. <laughs> that's a different topic. You know, uh, I, have, I have two boys. <laughs> And, um, I've, I've started to look at some flaws in the way that I'm doing parenting, um, and how to grow kids. But this is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a teacher and a, st- a student, right? When it comes to parenting. So I'm still learning. And I actually, um, started to really, uh, go and empower my, my boys. Um, and instead of using punishment, of preaching, you know, um, using empowerment. Um, and if they make a mistake, and I think this is this goes back to what we started to talk about, about the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. Yes. Where, hey, I'm not perfect. I know I make mistakes as CEO, as, uh, 
his parents is dead. Same for my kids. Uh, if I can go and talk to them and they can um, own it, the mistake they make, um, they can learn from it, they can fix it and move forward. I think it just makes us all kind of better human beings. So that's that's the culture that we have here in, in Calvermine, but this is also um, the culture that I try to bring back home um, to um, to my kids. And again, this is the growth mindset, which is we don't punish. It's totally fine if you make a mistake, as long as you can own it, uh, learn from it, and, and move forward. So this is some of my learning just to become a better parent. Well, Raviv, I think that's a perfect way to end this conversation. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. And uh, I look forward to watching Caliber Mind grow and continue to innovate in this space. Where can people find out a little bit more about what you're up to? And obviously, I'll put everything in the show notes as well. Yeah, the State of Revenue Marketing um, is right on our website and it's free to download. We only need the email. We don't, we don't like to put long forms and gates on it, <laughs> drinking our own champagne. And then, of course, uh, I'm, on, uh, I'm on Twitter and, and LinkedIn um, and you can read some of my posts on, on LinkedIn as well. And uh, thanks so much for having me. That was a really fun conversation. Thank you very much. Take care. Well, that's it for this session. For those of you who made it this far, thank you so much. Quick reminder, the show notes will be available on my website at mitchellfanning.com. And at this stage of the game, I really only have two small requests. Number one, I'd really love to get your feedback. And you can do that by either going to iTunes and leaving a review or contacting me via email or social. Just use the hashtag MitchCast. Again, all of this can be found on my website. Because like I said before, it's really going to be your feedback that's going to give me the oxygen to keep me going in the early stages and to improve the show. Because ultimately, I want this to be something that you'll also get value from. Last but not least, if you know somebody who might be interested in being a guest on the show, please reach out and let me know as well. That's it. That's all. Until next time, thank you so much.